Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk about Neil Pionk's new contract and what that means for Andrew Kopp's future in Winnipeg with Murata Tesh of The Athletic. And also a great conversation between Kelly Moore and Ted Sobel, longtime LA sportscaster who has a new book out, chock full of great stories. That's coming up on the podcast. Neil Pionk signing a four-year contract with $5.875 million with the Winnipeg Jets avoiding arbitration. For more on what this means, the domino effect, where he fits into the Jets' plans for years to come, we go to Murata Tesh of The Athletic. Murat, how are you doing tonight? Hey, doing quite well, Christian, other than the Shapovalov loss, but uh, but life is good. How are you? How are things? Things are great. We got some uh, some Jets news today. I've got, got a lot of football on our plate, which is awesome that we get CFL football, but a little bit of Jets news today. First of all, just your thoughts on the contract that Pionk signed today. Good for both team and player? Yeah, I think that's exactly the story. It's right on the money in terms of the money, the term as well. I mean, I was projecting about 6.0 million. That's all the figure I used in, at the athletic and all of our salary cap projections. So to come in, you know, 125 K below that, I think it makes me see it as, you know, a good deal for, for the jets. The interesting thing for me is that four year term as well, because Pionk with the July birthday, as he has, you know, he'll be 29 turning 30 just as that deal ends. Prime for another big ticket UFA contract or his first big ticket UFA contract, I should say, at the same time as likely having provided really good value to the Winnipeg Jets for the next four years. And I mentioned this earlier as well. They have Pionk, Schmidt and Morrissey for four more years, Dylan and DeMello for three more years each. So really the core of this Jets blue line is locked up for, for years to come here. Yeah, after two years of such uncertainty, ever since, you know, Ben Sherratt, Tyler Myers, Jacob Truba's trade for Neil Pionk, um, Dustin Bufflin's exit, you know, ever since that happened, Winnipeg's been facing this uncertainty. Who's going to make it work? Who's going to be able to be found how? Uh, I mean, the Jets used waivers and, and all sorts of methods to find the defense that we've seen uh, without any certainty whatsoever, especially leading up to the Seattle expansion draft. So with Logan Stanley safely protected, Dylan DeMello uh, still on the team, the amount of players like you just pointed out with term on their deals, I mean, there's going to be consistency here. There's going to be an opportunity for the Winnipeg Jets defense to build chemistry. The only concern I would have is now it's just a little bit harder. Billy Hanel is going to have to blow the doors open, whether it's next year at this rate or, or when that begins to happen and whatever next generation. But here we are, a Winnipeg Jets team loaded to the brim with veterans right now with term. And I'm sure that they're absolutely thrilled about that, especially given the window established three years left. I believe it is on Shifley Wheeler and Connor Hellebuck. The Jets are a win now team, whether they've quite reached elite status or not. Absolutely. And then they've got Kyle Connor locked up for five more years, Ehlers for four, Lowry for five, Pierre-Luc Dubois is an RFA after next season. But an RFA right now, and this is where the conversation inevitably turns, is Andrew Kopp, whose arbitration hearing is coming up in 15 days. He's been before. He knows what it's like. Do the Jets, as they stand right now, have enough space to afford Andrew Kopp? Not for 
for any length of term, which is a tough spot for a team and a player that like each other. I mean, Kopp's been a success in Winnipeg. He came up through the bottom six. He was a stalwart with Adam Lowry uh, on that checking line, especially in 2017-18, the best team that we've seen in Winnipeg in years and years, perhaps ever. Um, And then this most recent season, with an opportunity to break into the top six a little bit, he produces a career year offensively as well. He's a player that the Winnipeg Jets value. However... Flash back a little bit. You remember, we all remember when Kevin Sheveldayoff came out and said, you know what, Eric Comrie, backup goaltender, 750K, it's his time to shine. It wasn't just that a player, Comrie, like Cop, had come up through the organization as being valued and this is his time to shine. It's that his league minimum contract makes him the most palatable possible player behind Connor Hellebuck. He's not the only one. Up front at forward, Riley Nash signed to a league minimum contract, likely fourth line center, possible third line right wing, but likely fourth line center. Dominic Toninato's low dollars make him a, a likely fourth line player as well. Jansen Harkins at 725K. These are league minimum deals for the years that they were signed in. This is how you're filling out the roster. And even if you do that, you're left with approximately 3.9 million, just a little over that, to sign Andrew Kopp this season. So that begs the question, what comes next? Are there dominoes that are going to fall? Can they extend him long-term? Because I think $3.9 million is a little bit tight, to tell you the truth, for even a one-year deal, whether it's arbitration or if they avoid it by just signing. So there's the, there's the question. And there's a couple of different ways that they might look at getting more cap space. But and between now and August 26th, it's going to be Andrew Kopp is going to be the focus for the Winnipeg Jets in every way. So I did some research earlier today. I'll run this by you. If they want to follow the Tampa Bay Lightning playbook of somehow getting a contract to put on their long-term injured reserve, look, Ryan Kessler has a year left at 6.875 in Anaheim. Michael Furland, two years, 3.5 for Vancouver. That's kind of it from as far as I could tell. Teams that might even be willing to trade someone who would go on long-term IR. The old stable in Arizona has finally run dry, it seems. But looking at those options, do those make any sense at all for the Jets? Well, you're you're sort of following up and making an even bigger, more compelling case for a little bit of benefit that the Jets were able to have this past season. Because we know that Brian Little is headed to LTIR. And it doesn't give the Jets more cap space but it gives the Jets a pool of money that they can go over the cap by, the equivalent of Brian Little's contract. Just as this season's training camp was beginning, we got the news that Dominic Toninato was going to be unable to play. That was a bad situation for the player. Fortunately, he came back healthy and everything was good by the end of the season. At the time, it was fortunate cap-wise because it gave the Jets Dominic Toninato's salary now on uh, on long-term injured reserve as well, and that helped the Jets throughout the season. So... Whether it's that play, you know, perhaps an existing Jet whose health uh, we're unaware of at this stage uh, to that end. Uh, you know, I've reached out to Nathan Beaulieu's agent just to confirm that everything is on track as in his recovery from shoulder surgery. I believe it is, but I haven't heard back from him to confirm that quite yet. You know, I think Winnipeg is a healthy team. To that point, if they are in fact a healthy team, then to do the LTIR game, they might have to do exactly what you say. Look outside the organization for players like that. But if you're the Winnipeg Jets who've given up so much draft capital over recent seasons, are you willing to pay another second, third, fourth, whatever it is uh, to make room for Andrew Kopp? 
possibly because you're a win now team, but it comes with its own complications and problems because you're paying for the right to keep your own player. Well, right. So it almost feels like you're trading for your own player in that way, kind of. Yeah, which is interesting. And it's kind of the situation that you're, the Jets may be in either way. If, if Andrew Kopp and the Winnipeg Jets are unable to find a long-term deal with dollars that make sense for everybody before August 26th, then he's in arbitration, and that's going to be a one-year deal. That's the rule. He can't be taken through arbitration anywhere past unrestricted free agency next summer. So it'll be a one-year contract. And if Winnipeg holds on to them, onto him, pardon me, it's almost like a, a, a playoff rental for the Winnipeg Jets, except it would be their own player. So either way, if you're looking at opportunity costs, to keep Andrew Kopp in the fold may cost the Jets something, whether it's a draft pick to get that LTIR player now or just not getting draft picks, not getting futures or something to that effect back uh, for, for trading him mid-season, as you might do with a typical UFA. If he signs for one year, I imagine they'll keep him because it's a good team, a good player, and everybody wants to win. Right now, looking on capfriendly.com, and obviously stick tap to them, they're great. Eight players listed on the Jets roster, including Nathan Beaulieu and Sammy Niku. Would either of those players be movable or recommended to be moved, maybe even both, to make room for Andrew Kopp? Yeah, you know, in my calculations that come up with that 3.9 figure, I already imagine Sammy Niku elsewhere, whether that's successfully waived whether that's like that means playing for the Manitoba Moose, whether that means waived and claimed, or whether that even means being traded for a depth pick. His star has fallen, certainly since he was the AHL Defenseman of the Year, and you know he has been shopped before. But even then, at that 3.9 figure, you're looking for more space. And, and Nathan Beaulieu, at just over a million dollars as well, you know, a good defenseman to have as your seventh seventh best player uh, on the defense, but. At the same time, if you replaced him with a league minimum contract, perhaps that's Nelson Nogier, or maybe even it's Sami Niku, though I don't think that that's the fit that the Winnipeg Jets would typically go for, that would gain about four or five hundred K as well, which which just all of this all of this wiggling does is get the Jets a little bit above four million dollars to to potentially spend on Andrew Kopp. And now you're thinking that maybe you could get a one or two year deal out of it. I still think if it's it's long term, uh, if I'm Andrew Kopp, I just wait for unrestricted free agency uh, next year or, uh, or as soon as possible. So I'll get you out of here on this. Will Andrew Kopp be a Winnipeg Jet on opening night? I think they find a way. I think he's a short-term Winnipeg Jet, but I think they find a way to keep him in the fold, despite the very real possibility of trade or otherwise. All right. Appreciate your time as always, Murat. Thanks for this, and uh, enjoy Montreal. Thank you. Thank you very kindly, Christian. That is Murat Atesh. You can find his work. He'll be writing about this definitely for The Athletic. I think tomorrow you'll find his article on this. And again, Andrew Kopp and his arbitration hearing coming up in 15 days. So the clock is ticking. It's still time. You know, Chevy's got the irons in the fire for sure. But he's got the Pionk situation taken care of now. It's time for Kopp. If you love a good sports story or a collection of sports stories, then you are going to love a new book that has just been published titled Touching Greatness. CGOB Sports Director Kelly Moore caught up with the author of that book, longtime Los Angeles broadcaster Ted Sobel of USA Media. So what was the what was the motivating factor behind writing this, Ted? Well, Kelly, I think for the most part, I just kept hearing people say, Ted, you got a story about Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth and 
literally Babe Ruth, folks. My father worked at Yankee Stadium when Babe Ruth played. And so I, that was my early motivation to get into sports because my dad used to just, wow, it was an unbelievable era, right? And so I became a huge baseball fan as a kid at the start because of that. But again, so many people said, you got to write a book someday. And I said, I'm not a writer, I'm a broadcaster. Well, finally, I had the opportunity about 20 years ago, I started writing notes, scribbling it down, literally on a piece of paper and had about a, maybe 10 or 12 sheets of paper with scribbles all over it. I put it in the drawer, forgot about it. And about six years ago, I thought, you know what, if I'm ever going to do it, while well, I still got my memory, let's do it now. And I started to figure it out. It's like, okay, I don't know how to write a book, but here we go. And it came out really, really good. And I'm excited about it. Yeah, and and you should be. I want to go through a couple of the highlights, Ted. We can't get through all of them on this radio show. But just to give people a snapshot of of, uh, what is in the book, and we'll give them information a little later on on how to access it. But uh, you have to tell the story about how you met your boyhood hero, Elgin Baylor. Because this is so Ted Sobel. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny. I love, well, I hope that's good. <laughs> well, actually, Kelly, it, it's one of my favorite stories in the book. It's one of my favorite stories of my life because um, I guess you had to have uh, beach balls to pull this thing off. And to me, it was just living in his neighborhood as a teenager. We moved into the hills above Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. And I knew nobody up there. I, we, I grew up in Culver City, which is another whole chapter in Touching Greatness about the MPM studios and what it was like uh, making the old TV shows and all that stuff. And back in the 60s, Man From Uncle, uh, whatever, any, any of those Andy Griffith show, they were all made in Culver City almost. So one of the things that got me stirred up was when I went to Fairfax High in L.A. and I played B and C because I wasn't too t- tall enough to play varsity or JV basketball. Uh, one of the guys said to me, hey, do you know you moved into Elgin Baylor's neighborhood? And I said, you got to be kidding me. He's like my favorite player. And I, the only reason I didn't wear 22, because somebody else had stolen it first. So to me, it's like the rest of my days, all I had to do was find out where Elgin lived. And I had to hitchhike up the hill every day because I didn't drive yet. So one day, it was a fairly semi-regular basis. You might remember the name Della Reese. Yes. Who was and singer from the 60s and 70s and 80s, and she was in Touch by an Angel, which she became most famous for the TV show. Well, Della lived up there, and she used to pick me up on a regular basis to take me halfway home, up the hill, and then drop me off. The rest of the way, I had to walk, which was fine. It saved me. I mean, it was really a steep hill, killing Kelly. So when I one day, I get out of the car, and I'm walking up, and I see a brown Buick Skylark. It's a big old car from the 60s. Looks like a half boat. And I look inside, and it was Elgin Baylor. I couldn't believe it. So now I'm staring at the car. No cell phones then, folks, 1968. I couldn't take any pictures or anything. So all I did was go up and down and sideways. What street? Where can I find this car? Turns out uh, several weeks later, I found him on a short cul-de-sac, two blocks north of where I live. And I knocked on the door. I was so nervous, Kelly. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I knocked on the door. His first wife, Ruby, answered the, the door, and she, I said, I'm Ted. I'm a neighbor. I All I want to do, I just would love to meet Elgin, shake his hand. That would make my life. And she says, well, you're very nice, but he's sleeping. He was still playing then. This is 1968, right? He's still playing. So I said, you know, uh, I, I, what are the chances? She goes, if you come back tomorrow, 
about this time, I'll be happy to introduce you. He'll be, be thrilled to meet his new neighbor. And I said, well, that's great. So I ran home and told my mother, and she was all excited because she saw how passionate I was, and she knew how much I love watching Elgin play on TV. So I, the next day, I didn't say anything at school. I told nobody. I caught home, and I walked up that hill, and that heart was pounding out of my chest. I mean, like one of those old Popeye cartoons. You could see it just coming out, you know, two feet out. Uh, anyway, bottom line, uh, I, they answered the door. They brought Elgin. He, he was so nice. He invited me into his house, took me into his trophy room, spent about 15 or 20 minutes there, uh, looked at all of his trophies and his awards, and I was in heaven. And I basically said to him, is it okay if I stay here the rest of my life because I don't want to leave? <laughs> I, I have no interest in ever going home. But that's, it turns out that as I was leaving, his wife was said, it was nice to meet you. She was going to close the door. That would be the end of it. A light bulb went off in my head, Kelly. The, basically like the sun and said, this can't be all. And I turned around quickly and I could, I'll never forget the door was almost closed. I said, excuse me, Mrs. Baylor. And she opened it back up. And I said, is there a chance you could ever take me to the game one time? Because I don't drive yet. And she looked at me like I was from another planet and said, well, I got to think about that. Well, maybe come back in a couple of weeks. And I said, okay, no problem. And I ran, I'm coming back. She invited me back. And I came back. Uh, they said, yes. And the rest is history. And 50 years later, Elgin was just a wonderful guy to me. And you can't do that now. If you go to LeBron James' house, I don't think you're going to get past the security guys and the alligators in the moat. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, in this springboarded into a great friendship. Well, if you buy the book, uh, you'll be able to read all about it. But it, it's a fascinating story. Ted is one of those guys in our business where he just dares to dream. and And so... Another story I want you to share with our listeners tonight, Ted, sure. is how you got to know Bart Starr and how you made a trip to Green Bay and had the experience of a lifetime with the Packer icon. Okay, well, uh, let me get it straight now. I, I met him in Birmingham, Alabama, at his where his uh, home was. Uh, I did go to Lambeau Field many times, and there's stuff about Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. Right. But the thing, but the thing with Bart Kelly is, um, I had been in touch with him throughout the years. It was one of those things, and a, another premise for this book. You know, a lot of people, whether it's sports or music or movies or whatever, everybody has their favorites, and you always hope, hey, maybe one day I'll meet them. And that's sort of the premise of this touching greatness, because I got to meet all of them and sometimes work with them. Well, with Bart. I never got to work with him. I only met him one time for a couple of seconds after a game in the late 60s. He signed my autograph book at the L.A. Coliseum when I was a teenager. So as an adult and I'm in the business, I got in touch with him once and I said, uh, I want to interview you one day. And he said, be, he was such a gentleman. He was unbelievable. So I, I ended up getting the opportunity. We just stayed in touch. I'd call him every once in a while, say hello on the phone. Turned out he was a big tennis fan. I worked at the L.A tennis tournament the atp event that was here for more than 50 years and bart we invited him once he was a big fan but he couldn't make it so he says whenever you're in birmingham area and why would i ever be in the birmingham area i it, I'm, I'm, i just don't have any business in that neighborhood three thousand miles away almost so i covered the masters for several years and in 2014 i was there and i called him up in advance and said bart i'm gonna be in augusta and I looked it up, and it's a four-hour drive. And I said, if it's six, I'm driving to have lunch with you. And he said, I'm, I'm, 
open the date. No problem. You're coming. I'll make sure we're going to have lunch together. And that's what happened. I interviewed him. That interview is online. And some of it is in the book as well, Touching Greatness. And one of the things that was so exciting to me was when you, when I met him at the door and I said, Mr. Star. And he goes, you don't call me Mr. Star. And he says, we're, I'm Bart. You're Ted. We're longtime friends. And I said, you're Mr. Star in my heart, sir. You're my football idol as a kid. And anyway, it was just so special, Kelly. And um, it's something to remember in the book, for sure. It's a fun way to tell the story on how uh, I told him, I said, there were two key things. The Super Bowl one, which was in Los Angeles, which my father had tickets to, but he gave them away because nobody cared about the game. Packers were supposed to win by 100 points. It didn't matter. So um, I told him about that. And also the Ice Bowl, the famous game right. where it was Low zero and all that stuff. And it turned out that that was a game that I watched from home and always wanted to interview Bart about. Got to do it in his office in Birmingham and told him to his face, Bart, when the game was over, I couldn't believe you guys with the smoke coming out of your mouth and how cold, you know, I'm in Southern California. As you, Kelly, all I can say is Winnipeg's one of the coldest places I've ever been in my entire life. So I know what it's like there. But I didn't know as a 16-year-old. And the bottom line was, I went to the beach right afterwards so I could sit at Santa Monica Beach and look out at the ocean saying, I don't know how these people do it. And Bart loved that. He loved every second of it. <laughs> and he was such a gentleman. He, it, he was. He was. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you get that in, in reading the book. Uh, and maybe talk a little bit about how your professional relationship began with Aaron Rodgers because he's originally a California guy. Exactly. Northern California. Yeah. And that's of the story no doubt um i was covering a preseason nfl game the chargers home against the green bay packers in his i believe it was his second year where he wasn't playing because brett Favre was the starter so i was down in the locker room waiting for Favre, and i was standing about 20 feet away from aaron Rodgers, who was in front of his uh, his locker and there were probably five or six writers just talking to him just bsing and really nothing important and they're talking baseball and I'm trying to figure out why are you guys talking baseball? So I just wandered over because I was still, Brett Favre was always the last guy out. He was in the shower and would be forever. So I'm just listening in. And it turns out that Aaron says he's a Dodgers fan. At that time, my radio station, KFWB in LA, was the Dodgers station. So I wandered over when the guy stopped talking to him. I said, I introduced myself and I said, I'm Ted Sobel with KFWB. We're the Dodgers station. I hear you talking Dodgers. Why would you like the Dodgers? You're from Northern California. You should hate them. And he goes, Dodgers, baby. I'll never forget it. He turned out he became friends with a third base coach at Milwaukee Brewers when, you know, in Wisconsin. And he, that guy ended up with the Dodgers and they brought him to spring training that year and he became a total Dodger fan. And so when uh, he became my, for the first two years before he started, he became my Dodgers playoff correspondent from the NFL. And during the playoffs, fortunately, the Dodgers were there. He would call in and we'd talk baseball. No football at all. Nothing about Nobody cared. Nobody, half the people didn't even know where Rodgers was. He was just a draft pick by the Packers at that time. So that's where our relationship started. And to this day, uh, he's always been very nice to me. He usually comes on at least once a year for my NFL broadcast at Sports USA on a pregame show. I'm hoping to get him for week one because we got some things to talk about, don't we? <laughs> just, just a few, no doubt about that. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more 
every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the